Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, and I'd like to welcome you to Doggone Good Information. And please welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Heidi. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Always look forward to doing this. I, I, I really find myself very much looking forward to it as the week goes on and we're getting ready to tape, doing a little bit of homework and you and I communicating, but always find it very fun. So Yes, Absolutely. I want to uh, open, I, you know, I'm always looking at the news. I get dog alerts and animal alerts. And my husband sent me something I thought was worthy of mentioning on here. That um, it's from Hopkins Medical, John Hopkins. That falls uh, that result in traumatic brain injury are becoming more common in, in, in the older population. And it's from the tripping over the leashes or tripping oh, over the dogs. Wow. Okay. Scary. Yeah, because um, I'm I'm 61 and I just got the dog Otis, the big dog, and he sometimes jumps in front of me and I'm yep. pretty steady on my feet, pretty athletic. I do have a back problem right now that's a bit in, uh, inhibits me a bit. So I can appreciate and I see it all the time that, you know, a dog, we have all these reactive dogs out there now, but um and even if the dog's going along okay, sometimes you just trip over them, you know? Sure. So, but isn't that interesting that they're seeing a huge rise in traumatic brain injury from falls related to being with a leashed dog? Yeah. So I wonder if that's related also then to, I would say, lack of training or poor training. Uh, yeah. Um, I would think uh, some of it is where the dog's pulling a lot or that can get you unsteady. I'm going the yeah. opposite way. Otis is tall. I'm I'm five eight. Otis is tall, and I lean on Otis because I actually, when I got him, one of my goals was to try my hand at a service dog. I want him to do it all, and but he's tall and he's very steady. He's a very agile dog, but I lean on him, <laughs> so yeah. I'm going the other way with it, right? Um, yeah, changed a little bit. Yeah. So just an interesting and a bit scary statistic. So if you have um, elders in your family and they're walking dogs and such, maybe watch them and tweak the program or something or help them out. And certainly not long leashes. That's the best way to get trip. Your, your, it, it's right in line with your pet peeve last week, which was the extendable uh, retractable yes, leash. The retractable leashes. Yeah. Yeah. They're dangerous. And I could see where that would easily, I mean, I, I terrified of a long leash and the dog circling me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also goes to the idea, um, you, we as a habit train our animals for the worst case scenario as professionals. Yeah. Cause we know things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think amateurs end up sort of ignoring things that they feel like maybe aren't going to be a big deal. Right. They're not a problem now, so we're not going to address it. Um, so like walking in the door, the dog jumping on you. Yeah. Um, or, or the dog greeting a new person and jumping all over them. Um, and we ignore it because we're like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's fine for me. But you have to think about it's yeah. not fine for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's ironic you use that example because I had a uh, board and train dog. I'm, I'm having some surgery, so I couldn't do the length I normally would, but at least I wanted to get it get it a start. So it's a 35 pound, 20 week old uh, chocolate lab, very stout, going to be a big boy and a lot of energy. And when yeah. I went to the house to meet him, 
he accosted me. You know what I mean? He right. just jumped all over me and my back is really bothering me. And uh, so, but I'm stern. I walk in, I don't apologize. Hey, no down. You know, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's not all positive reinforcement folks. And no. Sometimes you tell them no, um, because it's dangerous. And the owners of that dog are very slight, very petite ladies. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, you have a responsibility to make sure this dog behaves because, um, and then what if your elders come over? Yeah, or, exactly. you know, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's a really big deal. I think it's, it's important. Anything you want to mention before we get into our main topic today? Um, well, kind of related to the main topic, I saw right. a, a little clip video, um, and it's not really related to pets, but it's sort of going to the, um, uh, shift in our ideology, our, um, morals, values, all of this. Um, and it was a, a short little clip from TikTok that somebody sent me, um, where an instructor has a classroom full of people and it was kind of a setup scenario. Um, and she's being very stern towards this one particular individual. She's not being mean. These are she's people, just, not animals. These are people, okay. not animals. Yeah. So it's, it's a classroom full of like college age, uh, students and then one instructor who has set up this scenario where she has chosen one particular individual um, and she's being very assertive in her communication. Um, and she goes through this whole sequence of, I'm not yelling. This is yelling. Yeah. She says, <laughs> but she said, I am not yelling. I am using a stern voice. I am making a very clear, assertive point. And the poor young lady is like freaking out almost in tears, has kind of a full meltdown. Um, And I thought, well, that's really interesting. We're at a point where um, young people generally, but kind of across the board is we can't say exactly what we mean. Yeah. We can't, everything has to be a little sugar coated. Everything has to be a little nicer. Everybody needs a participation ribbon. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. that idea. Yeah. And she, the instructor went through to kind of make this point. She made this young lady very uncomfortable to make the point that you are not that actually uncomfortable. You are just not acclimated to having somebody speak to you with an assertive tone and not sugarcoat everything. And I think that relates then to then how we deal with our animals yeah. Everybody wants to sugarcoat their training, sugarcoat oh, yeah. their structure and their all of that. Um, and, and I think that's where we run into a lot of problems is from our a person-to-person communication, we cloud everything with this sugary um, you know, sweetness that yeah. we cover up our true meaning. Unless we're uh, behind then, our keyboard on social media, then exactly. we let her rip. Yes. Um, so that's something to think about then when you're creating your relationship and your communication program with your animal is, are you being really clear? Mm. And if you're not, you're really confusing the animal. And that's, that's so much of what's happening right now. Yeah. And then by confusing the animal and not being clear, then they are very uncomfortable when you have to get assertive. Yeah. They're very uncomfortable when you have to make a point. Yeah. And Um, it doesn't, it doesn't impact them in the, in the way you would want it to, Yeah, to stop the unwanted behavior or keep them safe or whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely be kind and reward where you can and, um, use positivity where you can, 
um, reinforcement where you can, but there are going to come times and places where you have to be assertive, say no, draw a hard line and follow through with it. Um, And I think as people to people, we are very uncomfortable with that. And I think that's something that we need to get more comfortable with. Ah, well said. I think that's, that's terrific. Um, And if you've been listening to our podcast, you heard an episode prior, one of our early episodes, we're on going on episode nine now, where we talked about positive reinforcement only training and different training methods and that. And we're going to do a lot more of that in the near future. We're going to have on both sides of that as train some trainers come on and give us their reasoning for their methods. But positive reinforcement, fear-free training, fear-free, did I say that mm-hmm. right? Um, we groomers who say we won't use cages or kennels or all that. It all just leads into a narrative that really isn't making for better behaved animals. And hence why animals end up at the shelters, which is the sad part of that story. So yeah, good point. And you, you, uh, you did a nice job of touching on our main topic today. We're going to talk about young people and how they feel about animals And we're actually going to have a guest on today, which we'll be doing more of as we go along, too, to talk about uh, the millennial Gen Z perspective. And so I'm excited about that conversation. But yeah, for sure, check out uh, prior podcasts because we cover a lot of topics. We're trying to uh, be in uh, conversation starters and I hear the word igniters, you know, (laughs) but to to make people really think about how they're dealing with their animals, whether to get animals, training, budgets, all that kind of stuff that we've talked about. And then in our main topic, we'll we'll take that down to the Gen Z and millennial population. So really looking forward to that conversation. So I'm Heidi, and this is Tommy, and this is some doggone good information. All right, we're up to our main segment, Tommy. And today we're actually going to talk about um, young people and animals because it's really a different culture than uh, what probably, certainly what I grew up with and probably on the cusp of what you grew up with. So we have a millennial here to help us navigate that. Welcome, Cassidy Koch. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you Hi, here. Cassidy. Hi, Tommy. Now, full disclosure, Cassidy is a millennial and she did grow up with animals and has a lot to offer, but she does happen to be my daughter. So <laughs> she was she was an easy guest to snag, let's just say. But um, I, her and I have great, like Tommy, you and I, before we started the podcast, had such great discussions about animals. And I felt like I wanted to do that in a forum where people could listen in on our conversation. So when I thought about doing this with younger people, because in my training business, I encounter uh, generational, I'll go to a family where I help with the mom and then the daughter, which I did yesterday, as a matter of fact. And it really made me think about this. So I wanted Cassidy to offer some insights about, I guess, millennial, and we're debating, it's called Gen Z, I think, the next, next level down. Yes, Gen Z. Okay. <laughs> 97, probably, and, and younger. Okay. So Cassidy and Tommy jump in when you're like, it, I see a different way people deal with animals now, and particularly dogs and probably cats, because those are, we're more urbanite now, so less people have, of you know, different animals. 
What's your take on what you're seeing? I know some of your girlfriends have dogs and we've talked about not to throw anybody under the bus, but <laughs> we've talked about different ways people are treating and dealing with their animals than what you have been exposed to as a generational animal trainer. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I obviously grew up around every sort of animal you can imagine, right? I grew up uh, with dogs. I grew up with horses. I grew up working with camels and llamas and zebras and elephants, uh, just like my mom did in a little, in a different capacity, but nonetheless, I still was exposed to all the animals from a very young age and had the privilege to be able to interact with them. And it's, um, you know, the highlight of my life to have done that. Um, and so I think as an adult, um, Ironically, I'm not jumping to collect animals in that way um, yeah. that I see my friends doing that. And it's really been an interesting thing in college. So many of uh, generally females, but so many of my friends and sorority sisters got a dog in college mm. and I could just not understand. I couldn't fathom wanting to take on that responsibility of time as well as financially. Um, and most of them rescued a dog from a shelter. Um, which can be a wonderful thing, but they come with issues potentially. They come with potential health issues. Yeah. They come with behavioral issues potentially as well. And so trying to navigate that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old where you're still figuring out your own life uh, <laughs> was really interesting for me. And I, I could never wrap my head around it because uh, I, I always, I've always had animals in the best situation. You know, we've always had a backyard for our dog. We've always had a a, a stable that we kept our horses at and, or we're on the road and we're traveling and we exercise our animals and we so live next see, to, we live right there with them. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Right. So I've always kind of struggled with the idea of get, my lifestyle is incredibly crazy. I travel a lot. I have moved almost every year for the past five or six years. So I've never felt ready to embark on that journey, if you will, because it's such a huge commitment. And I, no doubt I have so many friends that have taken it seriously. However, it drains their bank accounts. It, you know, makes them not as able to do things that they want to do. Right. And it's something that I, um, you know, have really struggled with. I, I would love to have a dog right now. You know, the company and all of that is wonderful, but I'm still, I'm 29 and I'm still kind of figuring it out and, and making, you know, making these changes in my life. And I can't imagine um, bringing an animal into the mix of that right now. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's really been an interesting observation. Tommy, yeah, you want to, yeah. Um, I, I had kind of the same dilemma when I got my dog. Uh, we'll bring Jimmy Dean into the episode as always. <laughs> Make uh, sure you get Jimmy <laughs> Dean in there. And you've but talked was, about this in on the podcast that waiting yeah. to get him, they were like, hey, we got a dog for you. So, yeah. Right. I was 32 uh, before I committed to getting him. And like, that's a big commitment. So I can't imagine being 19, 20, middle of college, life up in the air, all kinds of things changing, uh, and then trying to bring a pet into that mix. And not your um, own housing. You know what I mean? Exactly, you're renting, yeah. you're moving, you're, geez, it's crazy, isn't it? So I guess my question for you, Cassie, is the people that you were with in that time period, before they got the animal, were they aware of the commitment? <laughs> Interesting. And did they think about the the budget, the time, the stress, all of the above? Uh, was that a consideration prior to committing to the animal? 
I think generally speaking, the answer is no. I think that that a lot of people that I know that have gotten a dog in college or at a young, younger age, you know, even young twenties, maybe had never had a dog in there or even cat, but really dogs are the more high maintenance, of course, For sure. uh, had never, had never really had an, an animal, a family pet, right. A family dog in their life. And so that just kind of the emotional support feel for it, right. To feel warm and fuzzy and have the dog snuggle with you and you're having a bad day. Like I get that, right. That's, that's I understand. Of course. Um, but I think that was the more of, I've noticed that was more of the reasoning. And then they get the dog and it has ear infections and <laughs> swallows, uh, like, like that they need medicine for and they have to go to the vet every two months or it eats something and has to have a $5,000 surgery. Yeah. Um, and those are things that, you know, I don't think people plan for and, I grew up, more, you know, with horses and horses are incredible, as we all know, right, are incredibly expensive as well. And they're constantly getting hurt. Ugh. So I think of it that way. And then dogs are a lesser version of that. But even still, they're going to swallow something. They're going to, you know, the, the worming medication, flea tick, all of that kind of stuff. It all adds up. And at 19, 20 years old and you're in college and, you know, barely getting by, how, I, for whatever reason, that doesn't come to people's minds when they think about that. And I have a lot of friends that have, drain their bank accounts, their savings accounts for animals, for the, their dog. And I, I, to me, I'm like, is that really worth it? Like, yeah, maybe yeah. it is for them. But for me, it's not like I would rather be financially stable and buy my first house before I get a dog and, and have to deal with that. And, and hopefully there are no issues, but it's an animal, just like a child. Things are going to happen. Things are going to come up. And I just, I don't think that young people, when they are, thinking about getting a pet, I don't think that that really comes to mind. One of the things, yeah, one of the things Cassidy, uh, Cassidy and I worked at equestrian theaters and circuses and such together, and we would be um, in the market to hire particularly young women, but young men as well. It was amazing, and we offered housing. There's a beautiful equestrian theater up in Wisconsin, the Dancing Horses, Beautiful housing on the property, the opportunity to perform with horses, learn aerial acts, learn all disciplines with, you know, horses, even petting zoo animals, all that kind of stuff. But they don't allow you to bring your pets. So Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how many fabulous candidates we had to turn down. Because if you make that exception for one in this dorm style uh, place, you have to make it for everyone. And unfortunately, people aren't diligent with their dogs. But the younger they are, I find that to be... Unless they're, uh, I hate to say this, but a higher socioeconomic level, they're not as diligent with their pets about necessarily cleaning up or that. And by the way, cats might be easier, but I almost have more of an issue letting somebody with cats stay in housing because that becomes almost difficult to, you know, get those smells out or, you know, they're going to shed. Also, I'm allergic to cats, and so yeah. that's always an issue for it's me. It's been an if issue. I'm moving into a new scenario, I yeah. need the carpets cleaned, or I can't live there, right, in these scenarios. Yeah. And apartment complexes are that way, but to live, to go and work at a, you know, at a theater like this and just be able to live in housing makes it really difficult. But yeah, my mom's right on that. A, a ton of people are like, yeah, I can come, but I have four horses, or and, I have and two dogs, and a cat, and, you know, and, totally and encumbered. With the horses, obviously, you don't want to mix the the herd. Like we had a herd of twenty five Arabians, so you don't want to mix all of that, you know. And right. it becomes this big thing. And so we had to turn down a lot of 
great quality, you know, performers and aerialists and, and entertainers because they were unfortunately too encumbered for, for what we were looking for. And that, that's, you know, something I've never had to deal with and, and, yeah. be, and that, and that, so. Yeah. They, they lost out on really cool opportunities and I had a great childhood growing up with animals and then I traveled cause I was a performer. So I feel so privileged about my background and I, I had animals, but they came with me, they performed with me. So it was a different scenario, but I feel like missing out when you're young and unencumbered, you're not married yet. You don't have your children. Um, you, you have there, it's so easy to travel nowadays. You know, we didn't have the internet and all that stuff when I was GPS, when I was growing up. So Mm. that's the part I think they miss out on. And my kids, Cassidy and my son, Tyler, both have traveled extensively. I always laugh and say, I told them it's a big world, embrace the journey, enjoy it. And Darn it, they listen. Now I gotta I have an RV to keep up with them, you know. <laughs> but when they settle down and when I know for sure Cassidy's gonna have animals, we can't wait. We've talked about breeding golden retrievers because we've had such a great experience with animals yeah. growing up and would love to do a you know, a little bit of that kind of thing. So I'm excited about that one day, Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think back to all of the sort of adventures that I've gotten to have in my life and all the different shows I've worked for and places I've lived. And I think how would it ever be possible if I had a pet with me? Yeah. A a non-performing pet. Um, You know, I would have missed out on a ton of opportunities. Um, And even, you know, I've, I've come down to Florida and spend, you know, a couple days at a time with you, Heidi, and with other friends and, I get to go travel and uh, see people all across the country and get to kind of participate in different things. And if I have a dog with me or if I have a dog waiting for me at home or, or something that really inhibits a lot of that ability uh, and flexibility. Yeah. So So. it's a good message for those who don't have pets yet. And, you know, reaching out to say this to young people now, what about the scenario Cassidy? I don't know if you see this with your friends where, um, couples are waiting to have kids and they have their fur babies. Can you speak to that a little bit? Be nice too. <laughs> I um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of that, right. And, and the fur babies and the grand fur babies, and oh, it's yeah. like a whole thing. Right. And, um, I was listening actually to this podcast a few weeks ago and Tommy was talking about, um, and I love this word to anthropomorphize, right? Yeah. To to put human emotions on animals. And Tommy, you said this great thing about there there is a middle ground to it, and people go too far one way or the yeah. other, where it's it's nothing, right? It's an animal, and it doesn't mean anything, and there's no no emotion, no nothing. Or they go the opposite spectrum, which is what we're talking about, where it's it, their child and their baby, uh-huh. and like, and I really loved how you said that because I think that's so accurate. There's a middle ground, like we are their leader, we are their you know owner, and re- you know we are responsible for them, and I you know, of course you create this wonderful, wonderful relationship with our animals and they are family to us, Yeah. but there's a barrier and there's a line. And so I, I just, I can't relate to these, you know, folks that, that, that go through this and whether or not they're, you know, a couple waiting to ever have kids or maybe they don't want kids at all, whatever that may be. And these are their children. I, I just, 
there's always a line and a boundary for me that's been set in place for all the animals that I've experienced. And, you know, I, it's just not something that I really can relate or understand to, but it's incredibly common. I have a lot of friends that, you know, call their dog, their child and their world and everything. And, um, I just simply can't relate, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cassidy, I'd like you to tell a story or two about maybe growing up with animals, some fun stuff that comes to mind or even challenging stuff because there's that too, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Lots um, come to mind for me. <laughs> Cassidy, Cassidy was my sidekick for, uh, you know, her whole growing up. She helped me train from the time she was big enough to hold a whip and stand at the back of the ring and, yeah. you know, as a toddler. So, Yeah, I've always... I mean, I, I feel so privileged to have the life that I have. I grew up, I kind of joked that I lived a double life. Um, my dad's a you know town businessman, so he grew up in town. I went to public school um, and then would travel with my mom on weekends and summers um, until we, you know, took our contract for Ringling and I was homeschooled for that year. But I, you know, always had the opportunity to be around animals with my mom and my mom's side of the family. Um, my grandparents had a farm in Sarasota where they had uh, numerous horses. I think there were camels and llamas at one yeah. point, dogs galore. There's a, a, a great Dane, uh, Spangles. Spangles. Yeah. Big black and white, um, spotted, um, great Dane, um, I mean, I used to ride, there's a little white pony named Sapporo and I used to go and saddle him up and hop <laughs> on any chance that I can get. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was so privileged to be able to interact with animals in that way from a young age. Uh, when I was 16, we went on Rainley Village Circus, uh, with my mom's horses and I assisted her with that. And I got to ride the elephant in the show and got to experience something that not many people in this world will ever get to experience creating a, a relation, not just like going to Thailand and, and getting to have a day with an elephant, but like, which is awesome, but what, yeah, which, which is, but I felt like I created this kind of bond with Susie. Absolutely. Um, she was the lead elephant in the elephant act. And um, I actually, the season before we went on the show, we were in Coney Island. Um, Ringling brothers had set up um, a tent there for the summer and we're doing shows. And my mom and I were there, working uh, with the menagerie of animals 17 animals in the stall flooded every day we worked cassidy has earned her stripes (laughs) i've earned my stripes and shoveling ish yes um and so but that summer i got my first experience um in meeting Susie and um the elephant trainer ramon allowed me to kind of start practicing with her because we had signed the contract to go um next season and um they had uh, given interest in me riding the elephants in the show. So I got to practice riding with her and interacting with her. They were elephants were right next to our menagerie. So I saw her every day along with the other two elephants, but Susie was the lead and was the one that I would be working with. Um, so summer ended, we had a little bit of a break um, before we went to rehearsals in Tampa in December. And I just remember, and they say elephants never forget. And this is just the coolest experience. And it had only been a few months, but I got to rehearsals. And, you know, the very first day working with the elephants and I walk up to Susie and I go and kind of hug her trunk and say hello. And I just saw this like look in her eye that she recognized me. I'm like, hi, Cassidy. And I was 16 years old and it was the coolest experience I, I, I can't even describe. It was just to, to realize that what I felt that she recognized me and said, hey, I remember you. And like just kind of snuggled up to me. 
I mean, I was 16 years old and I got paid to ride the elephants in the show. Like how, how cool. I, I have so many incredible stories from this life of working with animals and I wouldn't want it any other way. And I can't wait for the opportunity to have animals again in my life. I mean, yeah. I'm still just trying to settle down and figure that out. Um, you know, but I feel still so blessed to be able to have interacted with them. And, um, unfortunately, you know, there may come a day with my kids or grandkids where that may not be the case. And so, yeah, the way um, things are going, it's sad. Yeah. I'm a part of history and, you know, elephants aren't on ringling anymore. So I'm a part of that history where I was able to do that already. And there are people younger than me that will never have that opportunity. Well, they won't, they may not even see them Cassidy, let alone touch them or ride them because of this um, emotion to, People think turn them out to the wild. People, folks, you need to turn in, tune into my Animal Tales podcast, where I talk more in depth about these types of stories and have experts on. Cassidy, I want you to tell them what it what an elephant feels like. People don't really know that they actually have wiry hair, and you know, I actually have scars on um, my <laughs> my knuckles from Susie. Me so too. <laughs> their skin is incredibly rough very yeah. like wrinkly as you can tell they have super thick wiry hair um that a lot of times gets shaven you know that they'll groom them and shave them down a little bit so you go and sit um if you're riding them um for the act you sit right on top of their head kind of where their neck is and you hook your feet under their ears these were asian and elephants these, yep, yeah. these were asian elephants, so they have smaller ears so you're able to hook your your feet right under there the elephants on ringling also wore and most do a headpiece where there's a band that goes around the neck and then forward across and circular to the, the front plate that says the greatest show on earth. And so you can kind of, my feet were, I have very long legs, I'm 5'11". So my legs would just hook under their ears, but somebody shorter might hook their feet into the, the actual harness there to hold on because they move pretty fast. And, um, <laughs> they so, move big. <laughs> they're it's big, a big a movement. Yeah, you're moving movement. up there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so you hop up there and there's, one strap that goes across and then straight up and you can hook your hand under that strap and hold where your knuckles are against their skin and you hold on, especially in the beginning as they kind of go into the ring, they're going really fast. And um, in the very beginning, I did a lot of that as I was getting comfortable riding and they rubbed my skin completely yeah. off my knuckles. That's how tough their skin is. I ended up getting biker gloves with no fingers so that I could for practice right. because I was just rubbing my fingers raw on that. It's very tough skin. Um, but in some ways, like, so there's so much probably fat in there would be my guess. Right. They're also like this softness to them. Yeah. Um, their trunks are incredibly strong. I think there's over like 150,000 muscles in their trunks, some ridiculous yeah. number. And they, and I did a, a trunk carry. So she would lift me up with her trunk. I'd kind of stand next to her here, hold on to the headpiece, and she'd swoop me up with her trunk and carry me around the ring, incredibly strong. Um, and then they have this, the Asian elephants have this little, like, finger on the tip of their trunk where they can pick up things with it. And so she would, um, you know, I'd go up and say hi and hug her trunk, and she'd start to sniff around and play, and she'd kind of hook her thumb, like, around your hand or around your finger and kind of, like, try to hold your hand. It was, it was so sweet. And they do that also with their tails. Whenever yeah. they're walking in a line, they'll hook tails and they'll do that. They'll take that little finger and they'll wrap it right around the tail of the elephant in front of them. 
like they're holding hands and they go on their way. Reminds me of preschool kids holding each other, <laughs> holding on, tail exactly. up, that line up. Yeah, um, I, I got to tell this story quick. It's not quite a dog story, but when we were at Coney Island, we had the uh, menagerie <clears throat> and we were working, uh, practicing our horse act for the next season. We had a contract. So Cassidy and I took care of 17 animals. And next to us were cats on one side. They did it all out in the front so people could see the animals. And when you see the faces of these people seeing these animals, beautiful uh, Vicenta had white tigers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the three elephants were beside us. So we had, a, and we had a menagerie of animals, but the elephants, so were beside our tent and we sleep right there. My trailer was right next to the elephants and then the elephant trainers. Well, so during the day they're loose in their hot fence and then they go per- work, whether they're performing in the show or not, they get worked out every day. So they get stimulated and, but at night they tether them, right? Because if the electricity goes off, they wouldn't run away, but they would sure go eat people's gardens or, you know, they'd, mm-hmm. they'd roam around. So they were tethered at night and I was one of the first ones up to take care of 17 animals. And we had an early practice. So I walked by one morning. It was classic. And I've seen this with elephants before. But here's the three elephants tethered. And they have a pressure washer they'll use to clean the ground around them. And then change the setting and and hose off their skin. And some other tools, the wheelbarrow and that. (laughs) And there's a hot fence. The tape is uh, looks like a white tape. It's the the electric fence. So I think it who's on the end? Susie Cassidy? I walked by. And the tape is all over her. The power <laughs> washer's in front of her with the, it's all broken apart. The wheelbarrow is tipped over by the next one. And I look up at him because I always walk over by and say, good morning, girls. And they chirp at you. It's great. You know, they think you're going to feed them, but nonetheless, they, <laughs> they chirp at you. So I looked at him and I said, good morning, girls. I looked at her. I said, what did you do? And all three of them had the, like the little kid face or the dog face, you know, like I didn't do anything, nothing to see here. <laughs> they had it wrapped all over. <laughs> I think of that story all the time because their face is like nothing to see. Here. I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's great. And by the way, Susie. Um, claims the oldest uh, retired circus elephant in human care in her 70s. Really? Yeah, it doesn't speak to the narrative that, you know, they they don't make it well or do well. But, yeah, her and a zoo elephant are the oldest uh, in North America, outside of Southeast Asia, I believe. So Amazing. So, Cass, let's wrap this up. Why don't you, um, we'll get back to the, uh, where we started our conversation. I'm doing an animal tales book, a series. And one of them, the first one is called my life with animals. I think Cassidy, you're going to need to do a book in there too. You're going to, we'll have a Cassidy's animal tales. Okay. It'll be fun. Cause there are great stories and because we're losing animals in our lives, they're more important than ever. So wrap this up by maybe, you know, talking to young people, if, if, they're listening in, you know, on getting animals and how you deal with them and the anthropomorphizing. Maybe kind of yeah. wrap that up for us. Yeah, I mean, the, the relationship um, with humans and animals like needs to be there, right? We we need to keep that around. And so I encourage folks to get to get dogs, to get pets, and and all of that. But there needs to be right this level of research and understanding that is done. This is a 15 year commitment, you know, depending on the breed, uh, that can be, it's, I, I look at it similar to having kids. I don't know that I will have an animal before I have kids at this point, because I'm still 
not ready for that level of commitment. And I'm, and you know, I'm, I'm aware of that at least. So I think my advice to those millennials and Gen Z and, and younger generations that are anxious to have an animal or something else in their life um, is to not push them away from that, but to say, just make sure that there is research done, that you research the, the breed that you're looking for, the breed of dog. Do you have a apartment or living situation that is sustainable for a dog? Can you afford um, vet bills? Can you afford a dog walker if you're at work all day? Or do you have a doggy door with a backyard? You know, what, what are you doing to make sure that this animal that you're going to raise and take care of has, has a good life and that you are also in turn able to have a good life. You shouldn't be suffering. You shouldn't. And that's why I don't have animals because I am happy with the life that I have now traveling and going places and not having to worry about going home to feed the dogs at six o'clock. Um, and so I just really encourage these, you know, younger generations to think about that and to look to at, at what kind of dog you get, whether you purchase a purebred dog or rescue and, and the differences on that, the potential health, um, risks that there might be for some of these animals and the behavioral side. Are you capable of handling a dog that needs some behavioral attention? Are you able to afford training if need be, right? All of these things are incredibly important to come into question. I have friends that have rescued. I have friends that bought a purebred. And there's a huge difference in the financial uh, responsibility of both of those dogs. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, So I I encourage it. I Again, I love animals. I support, you know, humankind being in animals' lives 100%. Uh, I just think that it needs to be incredibly well thought out and planned. Yeah. And Tommy always uh, says on this podcast, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for your animal? Like, you know, like does the animal want to go shopping or those things? But in this case, Tommy, I could hear you saying that as well. Are you getting the animal for you or, you know? It's always what's in the best interest of that individual. Of the animal. And yeah. yeah. And and when you put it in that context, it changes the outcome completely. For so, sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, good advice, Cassidy. I appreciate it. We could have a lot of fun. I'll have you on my other podcast. We'll just tell animal <laughs> stories for 45 minutes. How's that? Okay. Love it. Can't wait. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate having you on. Well, that was a really great discussion with Cassidy. I enjoyed that. And she's always insightful, which is why I thought it would be great to have her on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy the conversation. Yeah. And uh, you know, more, there's more of that to come. I think we could go down that road further and, and uh, enjoy that conversation. So I'm, it's my turn for the pet peeve. And uh, so it ties in, I'd been thinking about this anyhow, but it tied in with something we talked about just with Cassidy which is calling our dogs either fur babies or were the mommies or daddies of our pets. It's certainly not something I grew up with, but I, I think it goes back to a word you you did, uh, talked about anthropomorphize. And we love our pets. I mean, I've loved my animals. I can name every animal I had. And believe me, in our family, we've had dozens. Uh, but I just, I'm the owner of, I'm the leader of my animals. I'm the owner of my animals. I'm in charge of them. It's, I, I take it uh, the way I felt as a parent that I needed to step up and make sure they were trained well. They learned what they needed to learn. They, 
the good and the bad, like to be afraid of the right things, not walk into fire, not put their hands on the stove. With your dogs, if my dog's walking up to a fire pit, I'm going to say, hey, ah, right? I'm going to tell him no or give him a, some word. I'm not going to just let him burn his nose and then he'll find out better. So, yeah. you know, I just think we need to be more realistic. We're cert- I'm certainly in the minority here and I know that, but it's my podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to put out there that we are owners and, you know, leaders of our pets, but the fur baby thing and the, um, the mommy and daddy of our pets, I just, I really can't get on board with. And one of the things we said in this podcast all the time, and Tommy just said it a few minutes ago, it is not in the best interest of our animals. We are actually dumbing them down and creating scenarios that aren't healthy for the animals. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think it brings up another point also is I talk a lot about the definitions of words. Yes. And we are changing a little bit uh, how we define or how we think of mommy or daddy. Um, you know, think back to 19, maybe 40, 50. It was not mommy and daddy. It was mother and father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was no mommy and daddy. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe that went a little too far to the extreme. It was a little too stern perhaps. Um, but like, for example, my mother's very similar to you. Um, I always say that she raised us uh, on Catholic guilt and military precision. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. uh, She's a retired army nurse um, and everything is very uh, pragmatic and uh, sort of, you know, down to business um, with obviously some emotion, but you know, if we fell and got a cut, it was not, oh my gosh, everything's bad. You're gonna, you're must yeah. be hurting. No, it's you'll be fine. Right. Take a deep breath. We're gonna rinse that off and you'll be fine. And we're gonna move on with our day. Yeah, we talked about that um, last week that you just gotta be very practical and that the yeah. animals need that. Yeah. And I think that's something that has kind of shifted in our culture. Yeah. Um, that now we we crave, well, maybe not crave, but um, we're, we think of mommy and daddy in this very coddling sort of, uh, fluffy sugary coated thing. Um, and that's not doing a service to anybody, animals or people. Yep. Agreed. Totally agree. What's your training tip this week, Tommy? So my training tip, uh, we had a, uh, a listener, uh, email in and ask about, she says, uh, help. I have a high energy dog, uh, and, I cannot wear the dog out. Yeah. Okay. So she said she's, uh, takes the dogs for walks, uh, that she's a runner, um, and she comes home and the dog is still, uh, you know, active and, and energetic. Interesting. Um, and we kind of hit on this before, but, um, it's a little shift just in the way you walk your dog yeah. or in the way you interact with your dog, give them a job. Okay. So it's not just go for a walk for an hour or an hour and a half and just go and go and go. Um, It's go for a walk, get to the end of the block, have them sit, look at you. Yeah. um, You know, and as you walk that you stop it at various intervals that they turn and they put their focus on you. 
And so it's not really a physical tired. It's a mental tired. Engage them mentally. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so that it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky thing to get a handle on if you're not an animal person or if you don't have a sort of a trainer mindset. Um, but it's little things like I do this with my dog, Jimmy Dean. Um, he has a, a, a ball that he particularly likes um, to play fetch with, but it's his job to go find the ball, pick it up, carry it for me outside where we go into the backyard to play the ball Um, We play fetch for a little while and then it's his job to go pick up the ball and bring it inside with him. Great. So he has a little bit of a job in that. That's the thing. um, And he has to carry something and think about it. Yeah. Um, And it just, it shifts a little bit the conversation. It shifts a little bit the interaction um, and it gives him a mental process that helps bring some of that uh, energy down. It's funny because it, it not, I guess it's not surprising, but the email or the, the comments we get always parallel with what's going on in my training during the week. And that little mm. chocolate lab I just mentioned when I'm at their house, when I took him back and showed them how to work with him, I helped them understand how he was mentally tired and they could walk with him for much longer periods and he still had too much energy with me, 15 minutes, and then I bring him back in and finish it up with sit, stays, downs, even though I did him on the walk, a little fetching and on the leash, pulling him back in, making him think he was yeah. exhausted. And I yeah. tell pe- my clients that when they're, when they, uh, when I leave, I say, you're done, because I used to get calls like, I don't know if he's okay. He's like not moving. Yeah. Or, I said, you've just never seen your dog that spent physically and mentally. And exactly. It's best thing that can happen. So great. That's absolutely a good uh Good training tip and very important. So if your dog doesn't run out of energy, you're not engaging their brain. It's mm-hmm. it's a mental. Uh, my dad used to get connected to animals mentally, and it was almost something you could watch. I, I don't even know how to describe that, but I used to call him Doctor Doolittle. You know, yeah. Uh, you, but, you get into their into their brains. Yeah, and you, it's a zone. You really communicate with them. It's and my dad on my horse tricks television show years ago. He, he's so emotional as he's talking about it. He says, it is the greatest feeling when you have connected with them. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about horses at the time, but still it's the same thing. And it, it really is. And then the training goes by leaps and bounds. Absolutely. That's my, um, and I'm kind of doing a second pet peeve, but that's why when they say that you get a dog from a shelter and he's scared, let him run around and, you know, be he has to acclimate. I say start right away, get in his brain and change that. Give him a new story today. Absolutely. Otherwise, he is just feeding on negative stuff and you're helping him. Yes. So get yeah. in the brain, give him a new story right yeah. away. And it's working. Give him a job. Always worked for me. Well, Tommy, you know, again, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your being on the podcast with me. I, I love that you bring uh, the science into it and the you know, the words themselves and the way you dissect things. It's really, uh, really makes it great. As I listen to these podcasts after we do them, I always, I always think what a great choice in choosing Tommy to be the co-host. <laughs> and I hear it from yeah. other people as well. So uh, I think it, I think it's a, a good match, which I thought it was when we, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very pleased and look forward to many more of these. So thank you. I as really always. enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. Well, I hope uh, you listeners and viewers have enjoyed it as well. And please subscribe 
rate and review our podcast, and share it. This is good information, and we want to hear from you. Let us know what your problems are. Let us know what you agreed with, what you didn't agree with, or what you might like to see us take on on the podcast. So, And we're always looking for interesting guests. So reach out to us and let us hear from you. And we'll see you again with some more doggone good information. <laughs>